What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Gloves Off, episode number 15, believe it or not, episode number 15, which is a landmark episode for us right now, so I'm really excited for this. We got James McSweeney, who's the host of, Pure, of, the host of Gloves Off podcast here, UFC veteran, also got an upcoming fight in just a couple of weeks here. And James, what are you up to right now, boss? Oh, yeah, I apologize that I'm not on the camera, guys, right now. I've just been traveling so much for the last five weeks. Every weekend, I've been leaving to go to a seminar. I did four across Canada, and then uh, last weekend, I was in Austin, Texas, for a seminar. And I've got another one coming up soon uh, over in Michigan, and then one in New Jersey. Then after that, I leave for my fight. I'm fighting in June 22nd. I'm well settled by Germany. So my schedule is just non-stop, plus... Yeah, you know what, James, your fight's on the 22nd, right? I actually went, to, you ever see the movie A Bronx Tale? With uh, Robert De Niro, I just went and interviewed one of the main characters from that movie this week, and uh, he actually invited me out to Atlantic City for uh, June 22nd, so I'm going to be on my phone watching your fight doing our recording for these guys. But you know what? Let's jump into things here, James. I mean, you got a lot going on. I got a lot going on. But what our listeners want to hear is what we thought about UFC 237. Let's start with Jose Aldo, Anderson Silva, because you've been in the fight game for so long. You understand, you know, what it's like. There's people that write these guys off, but these guys are legends. They've been in the game for so long. We've discussed it before. What did you think about, uh, you know, the performances at UFC 237? Even BJ Penn. Have you seen that before with a lot of fighters out there that, you know, their ego, like, it's not an ego thing. Like, there's a difference between ego and confidence. And I think that's what it is with Jose Aldo. I feel like his confidence when he was on that, you know, 10-year undefeated streak between the WC going into the UFC, and then Connor came along, something definitely changed, like you said. But you know what? There were so many people, myself included, you even mentioned it at one point, it felt like he got that back for a split second in time. But you also said his opponent, Volkanovski, is, you know, a top-level guy trying to make his name off of somebody like Jose Aldo. 
and something like that where if you're not there mentally 100%, you're not 100% confident, especially you've even mentioned it before in the past on one of the past episodes, you know, you can have a moment in a fight where you get hit with one shot and it could change a little bit inside of you with, you know, how you're going to perform the rest of the fight and you have to build that back. Is that what you thought happened to Jose? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't believe it. It's very hard to say. Only Jose Aldo and his team knows yeah. how he was feeling. Only he's going to say deep down when he went backstage how he really feels about it, how he felt out there. Could he not pull the trigger? Was he hesitant? Was he, was he fighting himself out there or was he actually fighting his opponent? You don't know. It seemed to me that he was having an, inter- an, uh, an internal battle. It seemed like he was struggling himself. He wasn't. He wasn't the same guy we've seen in the past. Let's put it that way. Um, at, at the end of the day, that's, that's taken nothing away from, from uh, Alex. Uh, I think he did a great job. He won the fight. And it's not his it's not his opinion of which Jose Aldo shows up. He just gets the contract. Do you want to fight Jose Aldo? And he said, yes. So that's down to Aldo's team who performs. So I take nothing away from the victory. The biggest uh, one of his career, day, for sure. He's still, uh, he still beat an exceptional world-class fighter. It's just a shame either Alex didn't allow him to fight the way he wanted to fight and shut him down, or Aldo shut himself down. We don't know. Only Aldo can say that. James, let me ask you something before we move on from that Aldo fight. There's a lot of people out there, including myself, that has been saying this his last couple of fights. So, We're sorry, not... Sorry about that. I got to ask you this. You know, I've been saying this for a while. I've been talking to people over at Bloody Elbow about it as well, a- along with our listeners on, uh, you know, Instagram and Twitter. Josie, although if you look back at his, his fights, you know, five years ago, he was using his leg kicks a lot more. Why do you yeah. think somebody like that who has an advantage with the like remember the fight he had with uh, Uriah Faber back in the day? Yes, of course. You know, he, he won the fight. Basically the leg kicks had a huge part to do with it. Why would somebody like Aldo take that away from his game and start focusing more on the striking and uh, you well, know, that's, countering? That's, that's a key that's a key point. What do you say? Aldo's Jose Aldo's leg kicks was a key point in the way in his fighting style, right? Yeah. He hit he hit that left hook low kick. Right cross, left hook, low kick. This is a bread and butter of Thai boxing. This is a bread and butter technique. If you don't know what to do or you're hesitant, if in doubt, left hook, low kick. Right cross, left hook, low kick. And it worked for him. He loves to play soccer. He's very fast with his feet. And you saw it work amazingly against Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber's leg, you saw it days after, uh, if I remember right, there was a picture posted. Oh, yeah. Like a piece. It looked like a piece of uh, <laughs> rare steak, right? It yeah, beaten meat. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely smashed to pieces. But that was a part of Jose Aldo's game. And this is what I'm trying to say. Now he's not implementing those same techniques. That only gives me the inkling that he's not playing the fight that he likes to play. He's not fighting to his potential. He's not fighting to his own style because he's not spread and fast his comfortable techniques that he can do in his sleep. So what he does without thinking, he's not doing those techniques. So it makes me think that he's either questioning himself during the distance of the combination or he's having an internal battle in his mind whether he should let it go or not because he's concerned about getting caught the way he did against Connor. And um, that's, if, that, if that mental game doesn't get cured fast, that's career suicide. Is that what you think is going on with BJ Penn as well? Because BJ, you know, he has had a fight that he's won since, I believe, maybe 2012, 2013. So do you think that is building up, like, the pressure in his head? I think, I think there's many factors towards BJ Penn. BJ Penn is a, an absolute monster when it comes to technical ability. Super experience. Been around the game a hell of a long time. But he's not flowing anymore he like he used to. Fighting. He's usually probably not well known at this stage. But... What else, what else has BJ Penn done? He's suffered numerous losses in a row. I don't think he's won in, what, four or five years, maybe more? Yeah. Um, he spent a significant time out of the game. Now, when you're not in the game, competing at a regular standard, now we saw this with Cain Velasquez a few while ago, you don't get better at something by not doing it, right? Even if you're training to a high level, it's not the same as competing at the very highest level. You're only going to compete against your training partners. 
And to be honest, he's in pen as his own gym. Is he really put himself in a place where, you know, he's a top dog in, a, in his own gym? Or is he putting himself in his, uh, you know, he's climbing the ladder, he's climbing the, uh, the mountain, you know, to get to the top wolf in someone else's gym? Um, it just doesn't seem like he's, the sport's evolved. And unfortunately, I don't feel BJ Penn has caught and stayed with the evolver of the sport. Now, please don't take this the wrong way that I'm talking for BJ Penn because I'm a super fan of BJ Penn. I think he's super talented. I think uh, he's a legend of the sport and he's accomplished more in the sport than I ever will. Yeah. So it's not like I'm saying, like, oh, he's no good. It's not that. It's just when you spend a significant amount of time out of the sport at the highest level, look at these young guys coming through. They're monsters. They're absolutely monsters. And that's what we saw with... They didn't come from a jiu-jitsu background or a Thai boxing background. They come from an MMA background from day one. These young 20-year-olds have been doing MMA since day one, and they were looking up to people like BJ Penn and Matt Hughes, and they were... Learning from them, yeah. And now they're there fighting with them. And unfortunately, the tale of time and, and age will eventually catch up. And you know what? You, you bring up a really good point there. Like, Cannoneer beating Anderson Silva. Volkanovski beating Jose Aldo. These are these guys, you would think in the back of your mind, these guys have more pressure on them than Aldo or Silva does. But like you said, age catches up with them. But then again, you know, one fight ago, we're like, Aldo's back. He's getting a TKO. You know, this is a crazy sport up and down. And you never know what's going to happen. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. So when you talk about somebody like, this, this is why we love the sport. This is why we're also passionate about it. This is why the fans have opinions about it. We follow our favorites. We hope they're going to win. But the bottom line is, this is a fight. Anything can happen. But there is seems to be a pattern right now that's coming through. People that are taking a significant amount of time away from the sport are coming back and not doing so well. That just goes back to the old saying of, Something that you don't continuously do, you know, on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, you're not going to get better at. Just look at Habib Nurmagomedov. He was gone for years, came back, took a fight on short note. Like the guy, he fought Daryl Horcher, who pieced him up better than Connor could. And you know what? Then Connor came back with a two-year layoff from mixed martial arts inside the octagon, and he was having a hard time with Khabib. So your, your point is definitely uh, proven there just by looking at those last couple of matches with guys that have taken time off from the octagon. That's exactly how I feel. I just don't feel that it's going to work. And there's a pattern here. So it's not, it's not that shocking. Um, if you really look at the only shock value that comes into it is that we hold on to just the nostalgia and the uh, legendary status of who the person used to be the last time we saw them could be. But they've gone through some serious changes in that 12, 24, 36 months. And, you know, that's a long period of time. And you can train every day, you can diet and do all the stuff that you normally do, but nobody prepares the same way if, unless you've got a fight coming up. And uh, if you're not preparing for a fight and you're just maintaining training, yes, it's good to train, but you're fighting for a year. So, you know what? You can have that drink. You can eat that fatty food. You don't have to go to the gym and push out hard. So, uh, you know, and then also the actual factor of competing itself, that's a, a huge factor. You're fighting a young lad who fought three or four times last year, and you haven't fought for over two years. Let's talk about that, though. Like, you know, there's a lot of fighters out there like BJ Penn, like Anthony Rumble Johnson, which we're going to talk about in a second. Maybe now is the right time to talk about it before we go on with uh, Rose Namjunas versus Andrade. These guys, they have a hard time adjusting to, you know, life without fighting inside their daily routine. You think, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Because we've seen a lot of fighters stumble a lot and come back to the game and not well, be the I same. Can, I can tell you now, I can talk from a personal experience. Please. Um, you know, two years ago, or just over a year and a half ago, I, I had some significant injuries, and I, I looked like I was on the verge of retirement. And I actually thought I had to retire, and I had to take over a year off. I had which I've never done my whole career. Had any, I fought five times a year for the last seven years consistently. And I hadn't taken any time off. So to take a year off was just uh, heartbreaking for me. And I went through an emotional roller coaster. I missed the sport. I missed all of the, you know, the emotions that came with the sport. I missed the challenge. I still trained every day, but I still didn't 
have that same, uh, you know, towards training. I still couldn't believe that. I still couldn't have that out there. The fact of the matter is, when you're training for a fight or you're a consistent fighter for so many years, it's happened in boxing, it's happened in MMA, it's happened in across the world. How many boxers out there or, or, or fighters out there that have retired and, and let loose and gone down heavy drinking and drugs roads? Yeah, they a lot. Handle it and they've gone down the depression road, they've turned to drink and drugs. They've blown money. The athletes across the world that have retired uh, can't have had a trouble handling this. Now, I believe it's like it's, it's like a post, uh, like a, uh, a piece of like when you go to war and you come back, PTSD or PTSD. That's a really good comparison, yeah. Post-traumatic stress syndrome. I think it's a similar there, because at the end of the day, as a fighter, you're going out there, listen, you're going to war like a soldier, so don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to make make it seem like, you know, they're having a war, that's not what I'm trying to say. But the adrenaline is there, yeah. You are going out there, you are fighting, and during that fight, anything can happen, and mentally and everything else, you're used to outlaying that amount of aggression so many times per year. And if you've done that for the last 20 years, and then all of a sudden, one day, someone says, no, you don't do that anymore, your body just doesn't go, okay then, I'll just stop feeling that way. No, it doesn't. It still has those emotions. It still has those feelings. So, I mean, it's terrible to hear about some fighters getting into altercations with their partners, girlfriends, wives, or whatever, and I don't condone any of that whatsoever, but I wasn't there. I have no opinion about what happened because I wasn't there, right? So I'm not going to get into that. What I am going to get into is just, as a fighter, I know from personal experience, when I'm fighting uh, consistently, I'm a much better person to be around. When I'm not fighting consistently, and I've had three or four, five, six months off from a fight, I am a little bit fast-tempered. I am a little bit worse to be around. I am quite quick to get a bit angry. And I know, I know that in myself. I'm 38 years old. I'm not stupid. I know myself. I've sat on the edge of my bed and wondered why I've had the argument I just had. Or I've wondered why I feel like the way I feel. And the fact of the matter is we're trained all of our lives to fight. So it's like taking an animal out of the jungle. Anymore, you're going to seek out the fight any way you can. You're going to chase that fight. It's like an addiction. An adrenaline rush, right? You're looking for the adrenaline rush. It is. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, that's why I honestly believe there should be something like some kind of mental counseling for fighters. When they retire, they should go through a consistent amount of counseling to learn to handle and, and deal with the outlet and find another realm to go down. To That's why a lot of fighters go into coaching, right? Because they feel when they're teaching somebody else to fight and that fighter is going out to fight, they can feel that kind of same adrenaline buzz and they can kind of feel like when he wins, I win. It's kind of, it's not the same, you know, this this, this a similarity and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. It's like being a drug addict. It's when you're coming off drugs, you don't, you have to go on methadone or something like that to get you off of heroin. It's not the same as heroin, but it's just enough to keep the... <laughs> The, the, the Keep you sane, yeah. That's why, lot, that's why a lot of fighters go down and coach because they need to have that craving still maintained. Here's the uh, other thing, though, James. You know, everyone would be fine with BJ Penn, Jose Aldo, and I'm not saying they should retire, but I'm saying there's a lot of fans out there that would be okay with them being retired. They've already made their mark. Like, what more is there for them to achieve? But yet, that craving is still there. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not being rude or disrespectful. When the fighter got into fighting, he got into fighting for his own reason. And when he retired, whether, no matter how successful he was, no matter how much of a legacy he left behind. Like a drug addict, you want more and more. Now, yeah. For him, it's like a gambler in a casino. It doesn't matter how much money he won at one stage, he's still going to chase that bet. He's still going to gamble. He still wants to chase that feeling of the gamble. Do you know what I mean? Chasing the dragon. They call it chasing the dragon. Yeah. Exactly what it is. is. I mean, I just watched an amazing documentary on HBO about Mickey Ward and uh, Arturo Gatti. 
Oh, wow. And, and, and it's amazing. If you get a chance to watch it, it's called Gatti the Trilogy. And it's on HBO. And it's uh, um, it's about an hour and 20 minutes long. It's about the trilogy of Vicky Ward versus Otoro Gatti. About Gatti's death and a suspicion of suicide. They said he, it was said that he could committed suicide, but he doesn't look that way. His wife was arrested for a dead release. And there was a whole big palaver about his death. But looking at his trainer, after the Mickey Ward first fight, Gatti still wanted to fight. And his trainer said to him, Toro, you know, you have your legacy. You're a multi-millionaire. You can't keep taking these fights. You've had so many wars. And you, know, you can't keep taking this damage. And he said, I can't train you anymore if you continue on to fight. So he said, okay. And he let his trainer go. And he still wanted to fight. Then he had two more fights. I think he fought Oscar De La Hoya after that. Oh, wow. He lost against Oscar De La Hoya. Then he lost against somebody else. And then he hired Mickey Ward to corner him because he couldn't get any more coaches to coach him. He had already had, he's already known as one of the pound for pound best boxers in the world in the Hall of Fame. But he still couldn't retire. He still just wanted that one more. Look fight. at Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, three. Perfect example. And that's what I'm trying to say. So it's not down to the legacy, it's not down to the fans saying, oh, you know, why don't you retire? You've done, you've done enough. You've done so much. You, you know, you've got the money. You've got the fame. You've, it's not down to any of that. It's the, it's the internal battle. It's the internal battle between themselves. James, I, I've talked to a lot. I've talked to Dan Severn about this exact thing. Uh, you know, when, when guys get older, they still want to compete. Do you think there should be like Bellator maybe do a, a, a I don't want to say a retirement league, but like an older league, like a 40 like a plus veterans league, or veterans league. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could do a veterans league. Longer again, breaks. Gonna, yeah. But you know what? You're going to come under the, you're going to come under the question mark. God forbid someone was to get seriously hurt in the veterans league, being a bit older, take a head trauma or taking some kind of interior damage, then what happens? Yeah. I honestly believe this is a young man's sport, and at a certain degree, I mean, this is something that I'm fearing. I'm 38 right now. I, I, feel, I feel good. I feel like I'm still performing and doing the sport justice. At some stage, there's going to be a point in the next four or five years that that's not going to be the case anymore. And I'm going to have to face hanging the gloves. What's, you know, and that's something that scares me no end. I'm showing you know, clips. I'm, a, I'm showing clips right now of your days back in the Ultimate Fighter. Biggest season in Ultimate Fighter history. What was the difference between that feeling and the feeling now of you fighting and getting ready for a fight? Like, well, what's the biggest you know, difference you've realized? Back, back, back then, I didn't know much about the sport. I was very fresh. I just come from K1. I was just, I was just a, a fighter. Like, I didn't care. I would have fought anybody... Um, any style, anywhere. I was just, a, I was a young lad, full of aggression and a natural kind of talent to pick things up fast. Once the ultimate fighter finished, I was in the UFC and I had to try and learn jiu-jitsu. I had to try and learn wrestling. I, I had some, I, I had one of the best coaches in the world is in um, uh, um, Greg Jackson. Oh, yeah. And then after that, I made a mistake and I went to Denver and I trained with one of the worst coaches in the world, which is, oh, God, it's, it's terrible. Um, I, I grudge. He, he's, <laughs> he's one of the biggest, freakest piece of shit. James? James? <laughs> 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 and, and, and I made that mistake, and then of yeah. course I moved on to Vegas, and I went with Robert Drysdale, which was amazing. I really picked up fast, fast. Um, Best in the world. And so forth, and you know, but then, I mean, now how I feel compared to then, now I feel better than I did back then because I still have the aggression, but I have much more control. I'm much more experienced. Like I fought on big shows all over the world, from One FC, KSW, UFC. Yeah. I fought on shows all over the world. So it's nothing that can come my way in the MMA world that I don't know. I'm now a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I've wrestled with Olympic guys. I've, I've trained with some of the best fighters in the world in MMA. So now I'm full of experience and I know what's coming for me. So now I'm really enjoying myself fighting. Whereas back then, we was just running on instinct. You know, I really wish I could have my time again. If, if I had a choice, 
I probably wouldn't have chosen to go into the UFC as early as I did. I should have really hung back, give the sport the respect it deserves, and learned jiu-jitsu, learned wrestling, and, and would have gone in a couple of years' time with my, my tool bag full of knowledge. So I, I got the opportunity. I was young. I was fearless. And I was like, you know, fuck it. I don't care. I'll fight anyone. Let's go. And, and I went in. And then, unfortunately, you know, after a couple of fights, uh, after my Fabio Maldonado fight, it came to an end. I signed with 1FC, you know, almost instantly. So it went back to back. But I, I wish it, if I had my time again, I would have held fire. I would have stayed at Greg Jackson. He, in my opinion, he's one of the very best coaches in the world. Uh, I should have been a bit more humble. I should have listened more. I was young, egotistical, thought I knew everything, you know. Uh, I was just a street thug back then, you know. I was just uh, a young guy from London that was just uh, willing to fight anybody, and uh, I, I didn't care. I've heard a lot of fighters say before in the past, it's harder to stay in the UFC than it is to make it into the UFC. And I think that's the point you bring up now. But James, you're in the freaking UFC video game. Like, I remember playing your video game character, you know, growing up and stuff. Like, you know, that was, that was an experience you can never take back, but it's so much harder getting back in. You, you, we've seen it so many times. Yeah, and also, I never played safe. I mean, after I left the UFC, um, after we parted ways, I had a great call with Joe Silver. Joe Silver was uh, gave me some amazing advice. But, yeah, again, stupidly, I didn't take it. He was like, oh, just get a couple of easy fights, learn some, learn the ground a little bit and come back. And instead of that, I was out there fighting, you know, top division pedigree guys. Like, uh, my first fight out of the UFC, I took on two weeks' notice against Rico Rodriguez. Over 50 odd fights, an wow. UFC heavyweight champion. Yeah. And we went the distance, you know, and I lost on a decision. But I didn't take the safe fights that some people did. And, I should have really gone out there, and, you know, if I was playing smart. But then again, I always thought to myself, if I'm a real fighter, I don't say no to fights. I fight anybody. And I honestly felt I could beat Rico. And we did have a good fight. We had a war. We had three rounds. We went to a decision, and we got the split decision. So, um, you know, it was what it was. But, yeah, if I had a if it was one of my fighters and I was looking after them, I wouldn't allow them to make those decisions. I, you know, I would have played safe. But in my whole career, I never played safe. I've always, I never said no to a fight. And so if you love me or you hate me, that, that's someone else's opinion. But I, I, I've always taken any fight, whether it's heavyweight, light heavy, kickboxing, MMA, Thai boxing, I fought all the realms. So uh, I can't, I can't look back and say. But a lot of people, you know, that's why some of these guys have very cushioned records. Yeah, you know what, James? Let's talk a little bit about the main event as well. Rose Lamahunas versus Jessica Andrade. You know, I had a girl over that night when Jessica Andrade was going up against Rose Lamahunas. We sat here. We watched that main event. Rose was doing a great job. I was so I was so nervous watching Rose because you know her background. You know her history. You know she's with Pat Barry. She's in, she's in good hands. And, you know, when you're, when you're along with that emotional journey with a fighter, it's really hard to see him lose the way that she lost, getting slammed on her head like that. Jessica Andrade yeah, goes Pat, on. Pat Berry's, a, Pat Berry's a great guy. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, an amazing, he's an amazing guy. I like Pat Berry. We've always had a bit of fun as well because he used to train with Shane Carwin and so did I. We used to oh, wow. But Pat's a really cool, really, really cool guy. I never knew that. He's a very experienced fighter and he's a good coach. So that, that's great. And I've always liked I like her as well. I like her persona. I like what she did. She trained with Tiger Muay Thai as well, James, with uh, uh, Valentina and Antonina. Yeah, not when I was there, though. I, yeah. I, I, I haven't seen her. Maybe that was after my time when I was there, but I didn't get to work with her, unfortunately. But um, I, I like her persona. I like how she fights. I think the way she lost was, you know, it could have happened to anybody. A little bit of suspicion about the spiking. Um you know, I just think it just happened. She got slammed and it just rocked her, you know, it rocked her. What do you mean? And wait, 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 James. What do you mean a little suspicion about the spike? What What do you mean? Well, when I look at it, I just, I wasn't too happy with the slam. I thought the slam was a little bit suspicious. It was borderline whether it was a spike or it was a little bit close to her landing on the head, um, and which is illegal. I'll agree with that. I, yeah, I think it was a little bit suspicious. And I think that... Looking back on it, I, in my opinion, I think it should have been a no contest. Really? I do, yeah, I do. But you know, what would be illegal opinion. though? What are the rules? Is it uh, twelve to six? Is that the illegal? Well, uh, well a spike is you, 
when you pick someone up and slam them, and if, usually if their feet are over their head, then it's a spike. Let me pull that up for everybody really quick, James. I, I got it right here. And if you look at it closely, the, uh, her the legs go above her waistline. She lands on the back of her neck and slams on her head. And in my opinion, that's a spike. Um, some people may say it's not, but that's their opinion. In my opinion, I think that's, that's a spike. Here, I'm going to... I'm going to play it for everybody really quick, James. Uh, one second. Right now, she's behind her because she's so much faster. She has to keep throwing kicks if she wants a chance. And right, she so knows here she that. is. She's grappling with her. She's getting her up. What a first round. Hold on. Here it is right here. Yeah, her legs go up over her head, and she slammed right on her neck. It's almost like the 12 to 6 elbow in a way where she's vert she's vertical facing the ground. Her neck slammed in a way that was scary. She lands on the back of her shoulders and her head. And in my opinion, that's a spike. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So you, you think that, well, you know what? And you know what it's like to to be a fighter and have to appeal a fight like that. You're going to spend a lot of money. You're going to go through a lot of stress. I don't think she would do that, but I think she would maybe have a case for that. It's not, I don't believe it was done on purpose. Yeah. I think it, I don't think the girls are dirty fired. I just think sometimes things can happen. She picked her up with a lot of aggression. She picked up super strength, and she was really compensating, thinking that she was going to really fight with her legs a lot more, but she didn't get able to do that. And when she picked her up, I think it went above the point of where it was a back slam, and I think it was a spike. Um, but listen, uh, in the day, the girl won the fight, uh, and that's all you can do. Shit happens in a fight. I mean, look. We see a girl get a toe, a toe in the eye, like a few. Oh ago. yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, Megan Anderson. This is, why we don't yeah. have, this is why we don't have the replays, the scores, and all the rest of it, like American football or so forth. I'm uh, glad you brought that up, though. This, For... this is a fight game, right? In my opinion, though, looking back on it, I think that the UFC, I do think that the uh, the parties involved should take a look and therefore say, listen, okay. It's, it's borderline, or we say it is, or we say it isn't. If they agree that it is what they class as a spike, there should be an automatic rematch. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that, Hunter. Because you, you yourself have said, you know, on past episodes, and I, I don't want our listeners to message us and be like, oh, James said this in the past. There shouldn't be replays. You're not saying there should be replays. You're saying the UFC should actually take a look at this and say, all right, that, that probably wasn't that fair. It was borderline, like you said. Let's run yeah, this one back. They can't, they can't take the belt off her. Yeah. She didn't win because yeah. she did win. Yeah. Right? What they can say is, though, hey, listen, guys, look, let's all get into a room. Watch the fight together. This is what the referees class as a spike. At the time, the referee in the heat of the moment didn't see or class it as 100% a spike. It's questionable. But now we can see in slow motion. It's not your fault. It's not her fault. But it's questionable. Well, it's an automatic rematch. I like what you... Have a with that. I like what you... Either fighter would have a problem with that because if, if she won and she believes she can win again, then let her fight again. I like what you brought up in the past when you were talking about this exact situation and fights in the past where I was asking you if they should have a replay for Herb Dean to watch over like the Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler fight. And you said no because your adrenaline is going. You're adre like if you get your hand raised and you think you won the fight and Herb Dean waves the fight off, your adrenaline, you have an adrenaline dump. That's going to change the fight. We saw it in the past. Yes, I don't they should they, yeah. should they shouldn't have actual replays and pause and all this shit no this is a fight game shit happens we all accept that but at the end of the game they should be able to say at the end of the fight listen guys look we've watched the replay come on now this is, this is what we class you're the champion you won the belt you got paid your money you got the fame of it you believe you can beat her right yes I do okay cool well you can see on here that we consider this a spike or we don't consider it a spike there's no rematch. Or we do consider it a spike. Now you're gonna to have to fight again because at the time we didn't we didn't we didn't see it. But now we do. So therefore have a rematch. You know, when me and my girl were watching it, we saw her do the post fight speech. They actually interviewed Rose, which is you know, something they stopped doing after the Alistair fight against Stephen Miocek. They actually interviewed yeah. Rose, which I was really happy they did. And Rose mentioned that it was a big relief off of her back. People speculated what that meant. When you heard that, 
and I say that to you, what does that mean to you? What do you think she meant by that? I'm sorry, repeat that again. I'm me and my girl were watching her post-fight speech, and Rose Namajunas goes, you know, this is a big relief off my back. You know, considering Rose's past, what do you think that means? The relief is kind of, remember Anna Silva said that when he lost? Yeah, yep, to Chris. Is, sometimes being the champion, no one understands how much pressure that is. Nobody understands what kind of schedule the champion's on. And, you know, it's a huge, huge schedule. They have to do a hell of a lot of stuff. They have to do appearances. They have to do signings. They've got to be for sponsors. The UFC keeps them on a high schedule. Yeah. There's so many things. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, everyone thinks the champion is unbeatable and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and the fact of the matter is, anybody's beatable. This is a fight game. And if she felt she was under a hell of a lot of pressure, maybe she wasn't enjoying the pressure. Sometimes, you know... You want to be the champion, but when you get there, it's not as great as you think. I'm sure it's amazing getting the money, the fame, and all the rest of it, but also it's still tiring. These are still human beings, don't forget. Well, she's no talked one... about it a lot, you know, her anxiety. And you being a fighter, you can understand that. Even if you don't have an anxiety disorder, there's anxiety that goes along with it. Brendan Schaub talks about it all the time. That's a reason why he won't come back. There's a ton of anxiety. There's tons before the fight. His anxiety of going to a public meeting or public appearance, knowing that there's thousands of people just coming to stare at you. Yeah, yeah. That in itself, some people can't handle that anxiety, like going for a signing at an expo or going to a restaurant for an appearance or a nightclub. Yeah. And everyone's going to announce that you're in it and everyone just turns to look at you and a thousand people want photographs and pictures of you. Like, there's the anxiety of that on its own. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a good point, you know, James. Uh, uh, so, don't forget, these people can't hide. They can't say for one second. They can't say no to anybody. They can't say, no, you can't have my picture. No, I'm not doing a son. There's no day. There's no off. There's no, it's not a nine to five job. It's a 24 hour day job. No matter where they are, there's going to be someone recognize them. Someone wants a picture. Someone wants an autograph. Somebody wants to talk to them about a fight, a win, a loss. There's no downtime. You can't have any personal time. Unless you lock yourself away like a hermit. <laughs> yeah. You need your so, comfort. Like, you need your me time. People, yeah. People go to work nine to five. They go out for a drink to unwind. Celebrities and fighters or athletes or film stars, anybody, they can't do that. They and could you imagine? Work, they go out for a drink and they get mobbed. They go to airports, they get mobbed. They go to restaurants, they get mobbed. They go to a cinema, they get spotted. Like, there's no, there's no downtime. And that's the thing with Rose. Like, she's she's been so open about it, you know, going on Joe Rogan's podcast, even talking about it before fights and after fights, about the anxiety that she has. Like, that that must have been really hard for her. So I understand what that that meant when she yeah. when she said that. That's what I assumed. Maybe, maybe the point of it, it just made her feel a little bit human. You know, like, when Anderson lost, he just said, like, you could almost see in his face that he was just like... You know, he just took a big deep breath, his shoulders dropped. He just seemed like, you know, ah, oh, I'm just, the pressure's gone, you know what I mean? Like, if this is over, like, I'm just happy just to sit back and let this happen. You know, it just is what it is. So, I can understand what she means. Um, not that I'm at her level or her level of fame, by no means, I'm not. But even the other day, I was just in Austin, Texas, and, and I was just having dinner. And a couple of people recognize me and want pictures. And, you know, you have to get up in the middle of dinner, stand up in a restaurant, make the pose. Listen, it's all great to meet people. Listen. But sometimes it is wearing a little bit thin and you don't really feel it. Like Eminem said, and yeah. <laughs> you, are little, you are a little bit embarrassed because you feel a bit of a dickhead standing up with your fist in the air or whatever, pulling the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It does wear a little bit thin sometimes. And, you know, everyone has it at different stages. I mean, I'm not saying I'm any kind of celebrity because I'm not. Shut up! You're you're gonna be in a move. You're gonna you're in a huge movie company, a blockbuster movie yeah, coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
So moving forward here, I don't want to spend too much time as we get to the 41 minute mark. We got about 10 more minutes left in the podcast for our listeners. I want to cover a couple more things, but really quick uh, for our listeners out there that are listening, let's think about what me and James are talking about on Twitter at gloves off also on Instagram. Moving forward though, I want to talk to you about this, James. Nate Diaz gets taken off the UFC rankings. Now, he hasn't fought since, you know, the fight that he's had in Connor. He's been really patient. What do you think is or, or should be mandatory for somebody to be on the rankings? Like, what what is the amount of time that somebody should be like, all right, you, you, you haven't been active. We, we have to take you off or it's not fair. What do you think about that? And what would you do? Well, it just has to be, it just has to be activity, right? I mean, to be honest with you, if you ask Nate Diaz, I don't think Nate gives a fuck whether he's on the ratings or not. Yeah. Um, I don't think he really gives a shit. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> he's going to take which fight he wants. He's going to dictate what kind of money he gets paid. And if he's going to come back on fight, he's going to come back for the big fight. He's going to come back for Connor. And it doesn't matter if he's on the rankings. Yeah. Whatever it may be. So for him, he doesn't really give a shit. Mm. I mean, I, I do talk from my own experience. Um, when I was in the K1 world, considerably, uh, most of my career before I went to MMA, I was in the top five of the world. And then when I went to MMA, of course, I dropped off the radar. Just recently, I've been back now in the K1 world. I've had Taking out the K1 number two guy in the world. And now, yeah. and now I'm number nine in the world. Yeah. And it's like, I beat number two in the world, but I'm number nine. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care where I am in the world. I consider myself, like all fighters, we've got to consider ourselves the best, right? So, you know, that's why we fight. You've got to say, even if you're not the best, you've got to act like you're the best, right? That's why we fight. If you don't think you're going to win, but you're going to say you're going to win. You have to believe that. So that's, that's the end of it. Nate doesn't give a shit. He's just going to come back and fight whenever the fight gets put to him. I think a lot of this stuff is happening trying to make make fights happen like they're trying to get a reaction from Nate or something um, I, I, knowing Nate personally he's not the person that's going to give a shit what anyone says or thinks if you don't think he's good enough to be in the top 10 then fight the guy yourself and you'll have a, a <laughs> yeah yeah well you know what James I got before we move on from that subject I also have to ask you know you, you mentioned money in that in that uh, statement that you just made how hard do you think it is for him to come back, fight a guy for, you know, an eighth of what he made against Connor? That's got to be really hard for him to come back. You know, even well, looking at well, Stipe. The reason, the reason why he's not coming back or hasn't come back for that money is because of the ESPN deal, right? Why That's true, Rob too. Just, why do you think Brock Lesnar just retired? Yeah. He retired because UFC can't afford to pay him what he wants anymore. Because before, they could say, you know, a pay-per-view percentage will give you, you know, a dollar a pay-per-view. It's a big change. Maybe hit one, hit one or two million pay-per-views, and that bumps his money up, plus he gets 500000 or something, he's getting a couple of million a fight. Now with the ESPN deal, what are they getting? 70, 80,000 people watching or something like that? They, keep, they continue screwing the fighters yeah. over more and more, more and more. Yeah, but they're, they're not, they can't afford to pay them that money, so they're just going to say, okay, retired. They ain't getting a pay-per-view deal now because of ESCN. He ain't going to come back for a couple of hundred grand or 300,000 or whatever. He's not doing it. James, let me say this. Let me say this. There was a, a, a picture that I posted on the Instagram that we got. Uh, Canelo Alvarez got paid, I think it was $400 million, something like that. No, no, he, he, I think he got $40 million. $40 million. Canelo. Canelo, yeah. Canelo got forty million dollars. Guess how much Cowboy, your, your friend Cowboy, got was four hundred thousand dollars. Now, is that because the sport is so new, or is that because they're trying to keep the fighters hungry to come back and, and be active, like we like we've been talking about? Well, it's neither. It's neither, to be honest. If you look at a boxing card, this is what always makes me die about boxing: is that people always talk about boxers who are such amazing money. Now, there's only a few people in the world. Now, Canelo himself. He's the, he is the, he's Hulk. Golden Boy Promotions is owned by Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins. Now, that now is only being held together by Canelo. Mayweather went off and opened his own promotions, Mayweather promotions. They yeah. used to have Mayweather, then he, they, he fucked off and opened up his own promotion. But I can tell you now, if you looked at that, if you watched that boxing card, look at the fighters that were on fourth or fifth or sixth on that card. See how much they got paid. Yeah, not much. Not much at all. Three or four grand. 
Yeah. Four or five thousand dollars. I know world champion boxers that are getting paid ten grand a fight. Ooh. So, you know, you know, don't 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 get illusions out there. There's only a few people out there making the big millions, and usually most of those are heavyweights. Yes, you've got your Canelo, you've got your Mayweathers, you've got your Pacquiao's, but I can tell you now, you know, there's there's only a slim pickings out there left that are making that kind of money. Well, you know, you know what it is. I mean, Cowboy, he has the most, I think, the most wins in UFC history, the most finish. Like, it's just hard to see. For what, over 10 years plus, right? I mean, listen, 400,000 for Cowboy, for him, that's great money. He's got his sponsors with Monster. He's got his everything. We all know MMA don't pay as good as boxing. We all know that. It's nothing to do. But also, if you look at the card, Connor got four, I'm sorry, Connor, Cowboy got 400,000. Someone else got two hundred and fifty thousand. Then there was two hundred thousand, one hundred and fifty thousand. There's some quite significant pays on there, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. If you, if you look at boxing, you got Canelo got forty million, and then those guys got four thousand. Yeah. The guy that fought eight got five thousand. I mean, come on, it's not it's not that even, is it? Well, this so, is. You know, you've got nine fights on there that got paid nothing, and Canelo took home forty million. So yeah, it's unfair. It's unfair in boxing. It's, it's unfair across the board. But we all know what we got into here. The, the people that win are the promotions. So listen, the win. They, they earn more money than all the fighters put together. We all know that. So James, listen. If you were Dana White, if if you were the guys in charge of the UFC, you see what's happened with the Reebok deal. You know, your your friend Brandon Schaub brought this up as well. I was making a hundred thousand dollars more when I was able to have a couple of sponsors on my shorts. Why can't Reebok allow these fighters to have one or two sponsors on their shorts to make a couple? You know, ten thousand is a huge difference over you know ten thousand more dollars in your pocket is a lot. Okay, James, but James. James. I know you're gonna. I know you're gonna agree with me when I say this because I'm only saying this because you've you've said this. The promotion and the fighters should be equal, right? I do believe that. Yes. Yeah. So like. No one. No one. One without the other doesn't work. Exactly. Exactly. He's the champion of One FC now, right? Uh, Brandon. No, uh, no, no, not Brandon Vera. No, no, not Brandon Vera. Um, no, no, he fought. He used to train in Denver. He, he was a big hype. He come on the scene. He knocked out 
he was a heavyweight. He knocked out the Australian guy with a jab once. Uh, years ago, he, 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 was, uh, he was on the fastest knockouts or something. He, hit him with a he, he got put through the roof. Then he got fired. Then they brought him back. And then he called out Frank Mir. I, I don't remember his name either. Our, our listeners will know. Our listeners probably scream at the radio right now. <laughs> oh, Duffy. Yeah, Mir knocked him out. Mir knocked him out in the fight. He called out Frank Mir. One of Mir's biggest highlights. Yeah. He was ranked number 25 or something. Yeah. And he called out Frank Mir. Big mistake. Like he just, like, I think Tosafi woke up last week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was, I remember watching that fight. Yeah. Frank Mir got four hundred thousand for the fight. Tosafi got two and a half thousand dollars or something stupid. James, people make that and wow. He signed a contract for the UFC for two and a half thousand. Wow. Right. Wow. Then he's gonna get taxed. Then he's gotta pay his corner team. So when you got people like that, you're going broke. Undercut themselves. And the whole sport, just to get in the UFC, that fucks it for anybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, you say, oh, no, I want 50 grand. Well, I'm not going to pay you 50. I've got a heavyweight over here that'll do it for two and a half grand. Exactly. Great point. You know Great point. Mean? So, Great point. fighters don't stick to, like, you know, all respect to each other in the business realm. Some of them don't know their own worth, and they will sell their soul to the devil just to get into the bigger company. Great point. When Todd Duffy took a fight against Alistair Overeem in Pride, he was training with us in Denver, and I know I know Alistair was getting six figures and top end of six figures for that fight in Pride. He took it on ten days' notice for pennies. Wow. Alistair just absolutely wow. smashed him and knocked him all over the place. You know, so they just wanted anyone to come cheap. He looked the part, all the muscle, the talk, like he, yeah, he yep. cheap. And he just got destroyed. And promoters got used to that because there's a lot, promoter, yeah. He's a promoter's dream, isn't he? Exactly, exactly. And, and he's not the only one. I'm not picking on Todd. He's no, of course not. One. Of course not. There's, there's, there's 100, 200, 300 more fighters out there to undersell themselves just to get on the show. And then when they get there, they cry about how much money they're making. It's just sad. Yeah, that's why a lot of fighters get mad when the Diaz brothers say, I'll fight for nothing. But James, with yeah, that but, point. Yeah, but let me tell you something. A promoter doesn't understand himself, does he? No. And we we've seen that plenty of times. And then a fighter will go, uh, uh, okay, uh, how about twenty five grand? Promoter says, no, I'm not paying that. We've seen it. We've seen it plenty of times. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, okay, uh, how about fifteen thousand? Know your worth, right, James? You got to know your worth. Fifteen grand. This is why promoters get more money. Yep. Because fighters don't know their worth. I'm sure the fighters that are listening to this are going nuts, agree and shaking their head with that too, because that's 100% accurate. It couldn't be any more accurate. The only reason why I say it is because it affects everybody. Because when you go in as an athlete and you negotiate your deal and you say, no, I want 100 It affects the entire promotion, the entire sport, people's well-being, putting food on the table. Yeah. Everybody's worth goes down. Yeah. The stock goes down. Yeah. If they can get somebody cheaper, then... Fuck it. Fuck you? it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Doesn't make sense. Absolutely crazy. Now, James, moving forward, and by the way, listeners, let us know what you think about this on Instagram and Twitter and at McSweeney MMA and at Pure Evil MMA. Also on Twitter at Gloves Off and Instagram at Gloves Off. But last thing we got to talk about before we go, these last five minutes that we got here, James, Bellator, MVP, undefeated, going against our boy. Douglas Limo, and, and you know, I've interviewed his brother Diego. He's been on Pure Evil MMA uh, five times now. Great people. Him and his brother are great guys. Uh, their personalities are perfect. I don't think that uh, Douglas would ever leave Bellator. Huge win for him as the champion. We saw what happened with him against Roy McDonald. He was beating Roy McDonald the entire fight, ends up losing. What about this fight? What do you have to say about MVP? Well, what do you think? Well, MVP is, is a super talented guy. Yeah. Super talented fighter, super confident. But we saw his last fight when he fought against, um, oh, we actually fought my friend, the English guy. Terrible, I forget his name. My memory's terrible. Jeez. Um, uh, he, he fought my buddy, uh, Caveman, not too long ago, and Caveman no, gave no, up. He, no, his last fight, he fought the English guy with, it was, uh, 
I can't remember either. Oh, uh, I, I can't remember right now. If you get a chance, just Google it while we're talking. Everyone's right. going to know. When he went out on that fight, he wasn't as confident. He was a little bit hesitant. He was looking for takedowns, which you never see Amazon Creek do, right? So, I don't, you know, and he went the distance. The fight wasn't the best fight, but anyway, he went out there. It had all the makings of being a big slugfest because they both fighters were good. Now, Douglas Lima is a very technical guy. What you see with MPP is, is his style is a bit like the old Anderson. Yes. Paul Daly. Paul Daly. James. Paul Daly. Yep. Paul Daly. Paul Daly's known as a knockout, being a knockout, everybody. Right. Paul Daly's a big fighter. He likes to fight. When they fought, that fight had all the makings of being a big old slugfest and a great fight. Unfortunately, it didn't live up to the hype. Um, MVP was hesitant. He didn't go after Daly like he does everybody else, and it was a bit of a. You know, it wasn't the fight that everyone planned. Now, after that fight, you see him come out again, pull out all the same old tricks, hands down. What I did notice, though, that I didn't notice before, was that in his stance, he kept a very wide stance, of his feet were in front of his knees. They're watching it now, yeah. Now, if you can look, when you put your feet in front of your knees, you're open to the sweep. In Thai boxing, people will clinch and pull you, so you overstep, and your foot's in front of your knee, then they will sweep you. Now, he was doing that, with his hands down and lunging in. And of course, Douglas Lima saw it, didn't react to it straight away. He let MVP grow, get more confident in his own little world. And then he capitalized with the sweep and then hit him with a beautiful uppercut as he hit the ground. And it was all she wrote. But I mean, I've always, I've always said this. Even Anderson Silva, in my opinion, is pound for pound one of the very best fighters in the world. Eventually, the sport caught up with him, right? Yeah. Eventually, Someone stopped punching where he was and started to punch where he was going to be with his hands down and his head back. This is what happened to MVP. Eventually, somebody worked out, if I keep my hands up and I be patient and I be technical, what he's doing is quite reckless. And yes, he's very talented and he pulls it off. And he has pulled it off a million and one times until it caught up with him. And he got caught. I'm not saying it's the end of him. I'm not saying that he's not a great fighter. And that's Do you think that will change him? But he needs to evolve. He needs to now go back to the drawing board. He needs to start thinking, don't change my style. He's just got to polish it and keep your fucking hands up. Go back to being flamboyant and confident, but adjust a little bit. You can't keep going out and performing the same way, pulling off robot moves and the dance steps and all this stuff mm. with top division champions these guys are the best in the world for a reason now now james you, you brought up a good point there but i also have to say don't you think guys like that overthink it when they go back in there after going through a lot this is his first loss well i i felt i felt like i don't know about overthinking it but i do feel like it's going to definitely damage his ego a little bit it's going to damage Lisa because he seems quite egotistical when he fights. And I'm talking about his fight character. Not him as a person, because I don't yeah. know him as a person. I only know his fight character, what I see in the cage. Oh, he's and a good person outside the cage. Yes, yes, you know. yes he's probably yeah. a great person. He's just, his fight ego. Listen, even Muhammad Ali got caught once, and, you know, and got dropped. He, you know, everyone's had a loss. It's not the end of, you know, it's not the end of the world. And then the best fighters in the world have had losses and come back. He can still come back and do well. But we're really going to see what he's made of now. We're going to see True. what kind of fight he's Redemption. Is he going to take the loss? Is he come back and get redemption? Is he going to come back and polish and get better and push us? We don't know. But time will tell. And you know what, James? I also got to say this. There's one thing that I can't stand, and I'm saying this to all the listeners out there. I mean, I understand liking memes and stuff, but when a guy like MVP... You know, he's going out there, he's entertaining so many people. When MVP is fighting, I've been to his, his live fights, I've covered his live fights, you know, uh, front front row center. You know, we get excited when he fights, but there's people out there that that just crucify guys that are going through that. That is disgusting. Yeah, but, you know but to be honest, you're always going to get that. Look, anyone who's a superstar, you're always going to get somebody... Build you up to watch you fall, yeah. They want to see them lose. 
How many people used to go and watch Mayweather fight actually liked him? And want him to lose. And the crowd wanted to be there when he lost. Yeah. Yeah. Even Mike Tyson. True. You know, the list goes on and on and on. There's so many people they want to see lose, but we don't care about those people. At the end of the day, one win and one loss doesn't define a fighter. MVP, super talented. Give the respect he deserves to Lima. He, he, did, he didn't get... He didn't get uh, big showed. He wasn't intimidated. He put on a great technical performance. He, he knew what to do. He saw it. He studied it. And he implemented it in the fight. And he got the victory. Great for him. Uh, I hope MVP just comes back, cleans his act up a little bit, comes back out and performs even better for the future. That's it. This is a fight game. This isn't, you know, uh, fight, fight. we win, we lose. That's what fighters do. And I don't understand. Like, for me, I've won fights. I've lost fights. I've lost and I've come back and I've won. If someone wants to say, oh, yeah, you're terrible, you're shit because you lost, then you know what? You don't really know the fight game. You don't yeah. know it because at the end of the day, it's like football or, or, or American football or soccer or basketball. Go and find me a team that hasn't lost the game. Show me a team that's undefeated that hasn't lost one. You can't. They've all won. They've all lost. People that won the NFL, Super Bowl, have lost it some period of time. They've come back and they've won. Two of them won the NBA have come back and they've won. The ice hockey, you name it, they've all won and lost. Why is fighting so different? Like, if you lose a fight now, that's it, that's the end of your career. You have a bad day at the office, do you go home and give your resignation? No, you don't. Like, it, just, it just makes me sick that they guys have this stupid mentality here. I don't get it. Now, last 90 seconds of our show, of our podcast, fan questions. People have been asking nonstop. How do you think Lima would do going into the UFC if he went, even even Michael Chandler or the Pitbull brothers? Is there a difference going into the UFC? Is the UFC the top number one athletes in the world, or do you think it's kind of even? No, I don't. I, I mean, I don't think it's even. I don't think it's even. I do think that there is a higher level in the UFC, and I think that has been proven because you've seen fighters go from the UFC to Bellator and struggle. You know, they've, done, they, they've, been, they've lost. Benson Henderson. Look, 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 look at our friend Matt Mitrioni. Yeah. He lost, got kicked out, went to Bellator, and now he's winning. Mm. But, you know, who's he winning against? Winning against people that, you know, are a bit past their best. I mean, and that's just not picking on Matt. That's just been... Roy you know, Nelson, great example. You fought Roy Nelson exactly. as well. Exactly. Roy yeah. was winning a winning a winning fight. He started to lose, goes to Bellator, and then look again. So, I'm not saying that people, guys, aren't, fight, aren't great fighters, or that he's not a great fighter. What I'm saying is, if you put Daniel Lima against a guy in the top 10, it's a real fight for Daniel Lima. It's a great fight. Something that he could write to the occasion and get better, and he could be the number one fighter in the world, or he could get a bit consumed with big brothers. We don't know unless it happens. But that's about the fight game, right? Who knows? Yeah, and, and that's why it's exciting to see these guys and, and wish for people like Michael Chandler, even Ben Askren, to come over to the UFC. So with that being said, uh, let us know what you guys think out there that are listening to Gloves Off, episode number 15. James, I want to thank you so much. I think this was a great episode talking about you know what you think about all the news that went down this weekend, getting into the minds of these fighters, the situations that they're going through, not just in the cage, but outside the cage as well. And it, it means a lot to a lot of listeners out there. And that's what makes this podcast special than others. So make sure you guys subscribe down below here on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, also on YouTube. Now we're doing it on Facebook as well. So I want to thank everybody out there. Also, we got new merchandise up, and I want to thank everybody that bought our new merchandise for Gloves Off. But you know, James, I'm excited. These next five episodes, I mean, it just keeps getting better. We're almost at episode number 20 now. You know, we're, we're just it's killing great, it. Right? It's great. Uh, we just really appreciate it for everyone who, who enjoys the show and uh, who tunes in. So I'm very appreciative. I'm sorry, guys, I couldn't be on the camera today, uh, but my schedule has been crazy. I've been driving while I've been doing this. And, uh, of course, it's a little bit illegal if I'm on the, if I'm on the camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I look forward to speaking to you with a future event coming up. And uh, we'll see you soon. James, before we let you go, what do you got planned this week? Our listeners always want to know what you got going on. Uh, this week, I'm training my arse off. I've got a lot to do this week. Uh, just continue to go forward. And then this weekend, I'm spending family time. I've been away every weekend for the last five weeks. I've got some family stuff going on this week. Oh, Mother's Day as well. How was Mother's Day? Yeah, it was great. I got to spend. I got back on Sunday from my seminars. So I got to spend Mother's Day with my wife and my daughter. And uh, we took my wife out and treated her. No, so uh, she's an amazing mom. So she deserves it. So we had a great time. And uh, 
now back to work. I've got a fight in uh, six, seven weeks, so just time to get the job done, man. Let's get in a big movie coming out as well, Sankar movie, which you guys saw on E! News just a couple of weeks ago. So, James, thank you so much. I want to thank our listeners as well. That does it for episode number 15 of Gloves Off. For me and James, have a good one, guys.